This is IAQ Radio, indoor air quality radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your host, Radio Joe Hughes, and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good day, and welcome to IAQ Radio Plus. This week is episode number 578, and we welcome William Thornton of Tarquette Sports as we continue the Moisture Mob series. This week's episode is titled Flooring Confidential, the underbelly of cradle to grave from manufacture to installation and use. And we've got a true industry longtime expert joining us to talk a little bit about flooring and moisture, a lot of issues we deal with in the indoor air quality world. Before we get started, let's thank our sponsors. IAQ Radio Association sponsors are the American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists. Learn more at acgih.org. The Cleaning Industry Research Institute. Learn more at ciriscience.org. The Indoor Air Quality Association. Learn more at iaqa.org. And the Restoration Industry Association. Learn more at restorationindustry.org. IAQ Radio Industry sponsors are AEML Laboratories. Learn more at AEMLINC.com. Particles Plus. Learn more at particlesplus.com. And Healthy Indoors Magazine. Subscriptions available at healthyindoors.com. And now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio trivia question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to czlotnik at cs.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man with this week's IAQ Radio trivia question. Hello, everyone. Congratulations go out to Jim Calla, CIH, North Carolina Department of Transportation, and Doug Conan, Aerotech Environmental, Dayton, Ohio, who quickly were first and second to identify Dmitry Iosovich Ivanovsky as the Russian botanist, the discoverer of viruses, and one of the founders of virology. The IQ Radio Trivia question for today, Friday, March 20th, 2020, has been sponsored by Ideas, a solution chemistry company providing unique solutions to odor removal, surface cleaning, and decontamination problems. Here's today's IQ radio trivia question. Name the material which dominates indoor sports flooring in America. Back to you, Joe. All right. So we welcome William Thornton this week. Um, this is a, a re, you know, continuation of the Moisture Mob series. Uh, William is the flooring industry's leading expert based in Atlanta, Georgia metro area. He is a North American technical manager for Tarquette Sports, originally from the Kansas City metro area where he made his bones in the flooring industry. His career has spanned almost four decades in all aspects of the industry from installation, manufacturing, specifications, consumer complaint handling, technical training, to standards writing and industry installation guides. Welcome to the show, William. Thank you so much. And as far as the, as far as the weekly question, yes, I know that one. <laughs> I, I figured I got it from your website. <laughs> Did you get a correct answer yet, Cliff? Not well, yet. Um, no, nope. I'm going to lose because I can't send him the answer real quick. I'm stuck here. I'm doing this. Incorrect. Okay. Well, you, you can shout it out and you can win. 
I think I see one right now already. Incorrect. Uh, too incorrect. Oh, my. All right. Well, let's move on here. Cliff, okay. I'd like you to start this with you. You had a question on architects. I do. Thanks, Joe. You know, my experience with architects is that they know a little bit about everything. When problems occur, want to, respons want to accept responsibility for nothing and expect to collect their fee on everything. So in your opinion, are architects qualified or should they specify flooring in commercial buildings? Cliff, that is a really, really tough question. I've been chewing on that one since I've been looking at it this morning, trying to come up with, you know, what is the, what is the most delicate answer, which is, or versus what's the most correct answer. Okay. The, the thing is with architects is they've got so many things that they have to specify in the construction of a building element come from below concrete to above concrete or whether or wood too also. Um, there are so many assessments that they have to make. And one of the things that they rely on is they rely on sound architectural specifications and sound advice from the manufacturers and producers of material. So one of the things, you know, I was talking to an architect a couple of years ago. Uh, because sometimes, you know, on the technical side of things, we can get really elaborate on our answers. And so the architect came back and said, well, if you can answer my questions in five minutes or less, you're golden. Hmm. Okay. Huh. Okay. <laughs> that can be a little tough to do. The, I agree with you that the sentiment, there, there is a sentiment there, uh, Cliff, that, you know, the architect specifies everything. And then when something goes wrong, between a general contractor and a flooring contractor that all of a sudden, you know, they're indemnified and they have, you know, Hey, it's all by the spec. Right. Well, it's true. It is all by the spec. So, um, I think where challenges can be is when jobs are being bid, um, by flooring contractors is they should take a really hard look at it. Um, look at the specs. If there's anything wrong, there is a process. There is, there is a process that you go through that, you know, prior to bidding and also, post bidding if you actually awarded the job um, to make sure that and so this is this is this is where it comes on to the flooring contractor that they understand the specifications they understand what they're bidding and and uh, if and, and communicate and that's a challenge I do agree with you though that that is the sentiment it's like oh well hey the architect did this and blah 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 and then you know, the arbitrary answer is that somebody gets, you know, the flooring contractor gets chucked under the bus. Um, I can't say that that's necessarily the architect's fault there. All right. Cliff, any follow-up or? No, I'm good. All right. Let me, let me move on to odors, William. You know, one of the issues we deal with a lot is indoor air quality is odors and and people are concerned about when new flooring is put in, you know, will there be off-gassing and, and odors? Um, when commercial flooring is installed, what, what is, first of all, that new flooring smell from? What, what, where is it coming from? We, we, I think we know it's the volatile organic compounds, but are they, where are they coming from? Well, that's a really good question. And, you know, we have to take it. Um, let's, let's go back in time a little bit. Um, can we take a minute to answer this one a little bit better? Absolutely. So a long time ago, back in the 60s and 70s, we had, um, we didn't know what we know today. 
we didn't know what we we don't we didn't know back then what we knew about adhesives. We didn't know what we knew back then about you know flooring materials, about VOCs, about indoor air quality, um, and what and really what is the best way for things to happen. And I'm really encouraged with all manufacturers in in the industry, not only for adhesives but um, flooring flooring materials also. What we know today um, is far better than what we knew 30 years ago, right? So the the thing about smell. Um, a long time ago, for example, um, the adhesives that we were using, they were solvent-based adhesives, blah, 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 blah. Um, they worked really well, but they actually weren't the best for indoor air quality environments. And, and as far as the other construction uh, uh, elements also that were in a building with welding and painting and, you know, all the other stuff that we were dealing with back then. So I'm really super encouraged where, where all the manufacturing, um, all the finished manufacturing today is, is really doing a great job at being on top of that. Now, as far as smell goes, okay, um, one of the interesting things about a, you know buying a new car is you get a new car smell. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, we get in there, you smell the leather, or you smell the carpet, blah, blah, blah. It's all good. Is it necessarily dangerous? No. No, it, uh, it's new. Um, hey, it, it's new stuff. You got new adhesive, you got new flooring. The, the best way to really address that um, is to just have the HVAC running and let ventilation do its work. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And now where are the most complaints with respect to the VOCs? Is it when you're putting down, let's say, a, a linoleum and you've got to put a, a glue backing of some type of an adhesive backing or... Um, maybe when you're finishing hardwood flooring with, with a, a polyurethane or whatever, where do you see the most complaints in your, your business? Well, we've got, we've got finishes today. Like for hardwood flooring on the sports side, we have waterborne finishes. Um, the, 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 the traditional standby is with oil modifieds, right? That, that's, we've been doing that since what Moses was corporal. There is a smell that's associated with that. Um, but it's, it's a matter of just being natural oil and, and uh, the other constituents that are in an oil-based thing. Um, we got the water-based stuff that, that's out now. Um, there's pros and cons to both. Um, it, in respect to linoleum or vinyl or rubber or um, any other floor, each, each one is going to have its unique. Each one will be unique. Um, but the, the, the most important thing is, is that, that, um, as far as the VOC thing, and what's, in, what's important about that is it's not dangerous. That's the, that's the point. Okay, and I guess does also... Sense, does that make sense, Cliff, or can I answer your question better? I think it also goes back to the, the manufacturer's directions as well. If, if people, you know, are ventilating the area properly and if they're using the right amount of product and, and things of that nature, it should help because the manufacturer's don't want those complaints. They don't want those calls. So I think it goes back to following the manufacturer's directions again, which I think we're going to talk a lot about today. Well, I agree with you on that. You know, the interesting thing is, is that, um, you know, I manage, I manage all of the complaints that come across my desk in us and Canada and, uh, even elsewhere. But, um, as far as odor and things like that, I really don't get those complaints much anymore. Hmm. It's, it's rare. It's super rare. In fact, if you do um, 
would would you ever recommend like heat? I know obviously you'd, you'd look at ventilation. That would be the first thing to go to. What about like heat or any other odor absorption techniques? Uh, is that something you may recommend? I've never run it. I've never, I've ne- with, with all the materials that we have today, um, Cliff, I've never run into have to get into odor absorption unless, unless it was an issue with existing concrete that had a problem where the material was torn up and they were trying to deal with the concrete. Um, as far as new material, I've never went into that. The number one, the number one rule right now is we, we, we ask for ventilation, you know, have good solid HVAC running and just do that. Okay. Let's move on a little to an Enviro. Over over the lifespan of a product, um, well, let me let me move different. Over the past ten years, how have flooring products and manufacturers responded to indoor air quality concerns? I guess it goes back a little to what we were talking about earlier. But what other specific measures are they taking? Well, that's a good one. That's that's a really good question, actually. We've had a lot of we've had a lot of um, industry regulation regulations between dealing with the USGBC for for lead. Um, we in Europe we have the REACH compliance. Um, for, we have that that we have to deal with. Right now, I would say it's really super encouraging because the, and then we also and also we have California. We have um, Prop sixty. We have Prop Prop sixty five. We have you know blah 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 going over to California. So there, there's a ton of regulations that actually limit and either limit, restrict, or um, or regulate what materials are going in floor covering and adhesives, uh, both in combination. And I think right now, as it stands, I mean, just about just a majority of the flooring manufacturers that I know of, they're all in compliance with that. It's really encouraging. Um, what we have today is some of the safest material that you could actually make and i'm not i'm not saying that just on our on our behalf i'm saying that about other manufacturers too they're all doing a really good job at that william you mentioned you know green buildings and so on and and green products um obviously are the rage right now we see a lot of green products have you as a manufacturer's rep noticed any or or had any problems with respect to the performance of those products compared to the older products? Well, see, that is probably one of the best questions that you've asked so far. The challenge that we have, that's a great question, by the way. The challenge that we have is that we, we want to meet all of the, uh, we want to be environmentally responsible, right? But on the other side of it, we also want to, we don't want to have any detriment to the performance of our material. And that is a really, that's a really tough call. That's where the R&D departments of manufacturers have really come to task that, you know, the stuff that we used to make a long time ago that may have had asbestos in it and so forth and so on that was hard as a rock and lasted 30 years, and, but wasn't this, but now it's a problem because you have to remove it yeah. um, to dealing with the new stuff that we still want it to last an incredible amount of, uh, an incredible amount of time. That's a that's that's been a real challenge and uh, for manufacturers, but I can say for the most part that that just you know most of the, most of the major manufacturers have done a really good job there. This is this is where this is where Cliff, the necessity created by 
the necessity created by regulation and social responsibility has met research and development in chemistry and, and, um, and product design and construction where it, things have gone hand in hand pretty well. I'm actually pretty proud of it right now. I'm curious if, has that ever led to in your knowledge and then I'm hoping the answer is no, but you never know. I mean, would you as a manufacturer have to kind of give um, a, a, a shorter uh, warranty period because you've had to switch to these products that, you know, are greener, but maybe don't necessarily work like the older products. That's it. <laughs> You're asking very good questions, sir. That's a good one. Um, no, in fact, um, you, from what I'm seeing on warranty is um, no, we're actually, we're, we're actually having better, stronger, longer warranties than what we had before. Okay. And I, I don't, I, and a lot of that's market driven, obviously. Right. Sure. But um, no, I mean, I've looked at material now that, um, you know, and chemi I mean, chemistry wise, construction wise, things like that. I've seen covering that has been down for 38, 40 years. And the only reason that they're changing it now is because it was, you know, a 1974 olive green, bad color, <laughs> but it's still there. Yeah. You know, um, no, the, no, the warranty, uh, from what I'm seeing from us and from, from, even, from all the other manufacturers, the, the warranties are just as strong, if not better than what they were before. Well, let, let's talk a minute about acclimation. My, my son's a, a contractor. He puts in some hardwood flooring and, you know, other flooring products and, and the manufacturers recommend that we acclimate the flooring, you know, get it into that building and let it sit out. They take it out of the box. They let it kind of, you know, come into equilibrium with the building's temperature and relative humidity. I think it's usually about 48 hours. Uh, can you talk a little bit about acclimation and commercial flooring and um, how important that is, if it's important? Well, I appreciate that you actually arbitrarily said 48 hours. <laughs> That's nice because we're getting, you know, manufacturers are getting pushed, pushed and pushed even further to concede on some of that where, you know, customers want to just, you know, drop the floor out there and <laughs> throw it in right there and, you know, right. let it sit for 15 minutes and call it a day. But things are, things are manufactured to tolerances and, and, you know, we have technical data sheets that have, and, and we have technical, you know, restrictions on this stuff acclimation is is so super important um if you can let and i can't say every material because i don't want to i don't want to speak for other manufacturers right or or you know particular products like a rubber product versus a vinyl product versus a lino a lino, a lino product versus a wood product you know wood obviously um is going to require more acclimation time than like a synthetic wood um but the the bigger thing is is to is what we want more than more than anything else we we want um, we want stability of the material right and but the bigger thing is, is we want stability of the building right mm -hmm. so having a stable environment means that means that every every construction element that's in that building is going to be more predictable does that make sense absolutely right I got one. Go ahead. So, for for example, if if we're running into a building that has fifty or sixty percent humidity swings, 
or a giant temperature swings. I mean, is that really good? If, um, we can we can we can talk about just the flooring, but is that really good for the entire building? Right. And that's right. that's my question back to you. What do you think about that? I don't think it's good for the building. Obviously, I mean, it's just not good. You don't want yeah. those swings. So, but but no, you're no, also no, in a construction site where you may not have as much control over that as you would like, and everybody wants things faster, cheaper these days. Yep, so yep. I think contractors are caught between, you know, here's what the manufacturer wants, here's what's ideal, but here's what my customer's pushing me to do. Sure. No, exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah, we, uh, yeah, I understand the push. And it's hard because then all of a sudden flooring contractors are making decisions. You know, they're, they're trying to make everybody happy. They're trying to make the schedule. And then all of a sudden, um, look, look I, was, I was dealing with a – you know, this is a really interesting, um, uh, really, really interesting point, Cliff, and I, I hope you don't mind me taking the, a minute to actually explain it. No, please do. I was do. actually on an airplane, and I was dealing with a hospital group um, that purchases, that, that builds hospitals, right? They're an investment group. And I'm sitting next, I'm sitting next to this guy, and he, just, he was just telling me that they were going to build a six-floor hospital in 13 months. Wow. What do you think about that? That's uh, well. Think. Of, what about the Chinese building a, a hospital in a week? I mean, how can you possibly have? They must not have put flooring on the concrete. My my response back to him was, "Hey, this is fantastic that you can actually pull off building a six floor hospital in thir in you know in thirteen months, and then you're going to fill it with beds and blah 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 blah, and you're going to make money on it. What's going to happen with all the contractors that did all the work?" And all of a sudden, now you're going to have problems on that thing. Yep. Hmm. That's a challenge. Yep. And the contractor gets caught. And then going back to Cliff's original question, you know, the architect is not necessarily going to take, you know, uh, take uh, too much of the blame for that. Although, essentially, who is Atypically, Cliff, what happens is the general contractor gets involved. They'll... They'll go back and review the specs and blah, 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 blah. And then they'll work with the flooring contractor. And then they'll work with the flooring manufacturer also, too. And then, okay. Yep. Here's, the, here's, the, um, here's the compromise, essentially. And I would imagine you build a little bit of a buffer into those times um, just because I think that's a prudent thing to do. I don't think there's any buffers. Uh, I don't think there's any buffers when it comes to that. Wow. Um, the problem is with, you know, it's everything is so competitive right now. You know, everyone's trying to do things as well as they can, but also as cheap as they can. And they're trying to run their business. I've got a uh, text from a listener who says 72 hours to acclimate. Does that sound like a better idea to you? Depends on the system. Okay. Yep. Probably hardwood, I would think. Uh, you want as much time as you can with those types of products. With engin with engineered woods and laminates and things like that, yeah, 72 hours wouldn't be a bad idea. Engineered, okay. Very good. But the thing is about acclimate, the thing about, you know, acclimatizing material, again, it comes down to is, is the, with the material that you're putting into that space, is the space that you're working in stable? So um, it may be okay, like 48, you know, 24, 48, 72 hours from now, 96 hours from now, 
is it going to stay the same for the rest of that floor's life? Or at least, at, at the very least, through the construction cycle, right? Hmm. All right, I've got, by the um, way. Do you, um, you, um, you understand my answer? I do. I yeah. do. I think, I think you bring up a really good point. It's not just the flooring or the manufacturer of the flooring or whether it came, and that's a text question, whether it came from the United States or from some other country. It's, you've got to have control over the construction site and the, uh, the, the temperature and relative humidity and other factors on the site itself. One of the, um, I, I think there's another question that's going to be coming down the road here uh, regarding complaints and blah, blah, blah. One of the biggest things that I've run into is the lack of control of the construction site. Hmm. Well, that is our next question, actually, is um, warranty claims. What are the most common commercial flooring claims, and who is usually responsible, and how could they be prevented? Good one. Okay. <laughs> okay, good one. So here's the thing. So as a as, if, there's this um, there's a sentiment I think, and certainly we can't deny it, right? Um, I mean, I mean, we could, we we all have to admit that it's true that a flooring contractor, as soon as something goes wrong. The flooring contractor automatically blames the flooring manufacturer. The architect automatically blames the flooring manufacturer, and then, but the manufacturer and, and but the manufacturer and the general contractor automatically blame the flooring contractor. Would you would you concur with that? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, and then and then people start chucking people under the bus, and and so I can tell you that we're not that way, but but. Um, It all comes down to exactly what you and I were talking about, about controlling the job, understanding the specifications, paying very close attention to, uh, to the testing. If you're involved in testing, if you're in, involved in, in, in forensic analysis of the floor before you install it, then be good at what you do on that. Um, there's a difference, though, between people doing moisture, and I, I know that I, I think we're going to have a question about moisture testing here. Absolutely. But the, the majority of the, the, the majority of the problems that I see with complaints, and see, I don't want to sound like the bad guy. Here, here's what I don't want to sound like, Cliff, uh, because that's kind of the modus operandi is all of a sudden it's the flooring contractor's fault. It's not always that, um, but the majority of the complaints that we see is either um, a misunderstanding of of uh, the installation system, or a misunderstanding of the of of, of the conditions of the of the job site when they're putting the job down. Does that make sense at all? Absolutely. I'm trying to I'm trying to be delicate, but I'm also I'm trying to be truthful at the same time. Well, and, and I've got a text um, from a listener. I think this is something we're going to talk a lot about more in the second half. That you know. A lot of it is based on the moisture content, and you just mentioned the, the measurement of moisture content in both whatever you're putting the floor on and the flooring itself. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. Okay. Uh, so what's your, what's your question on that one? I just wanted, that was just a comment, not necessarily a question. What about yeah, 
Absolutely, it is. Um, you know, we've come in great strides. Um, I mean, you've been around in this business long enough that you know, you know what we've gone through in the eight, 70s and 80s, and you know what we've gone through in the 90s, and now you, and you know also what we're going through in the 2000s, right? Where yep. the chemistry of the uh, the chemistry of adhesives have come a long way. Where actually the adhesives that we have today are considerably better because I get this argument from time, from time to time from general contractors and from old salt uh, old salt installers that hey this old solvent this old solvent you know black glue was the best stuff on the planet. <laughs> it was pretty nice actually. Yeah, um, cut back adhesive for floor tile. That was some good stuff. Well, you didn't. You didn't want to wear white while you're trying to install that, but hey, hey. <laughs> you don't want to remove it either when it has asbestos in it. Believe me, that was a well, nightmare. That's, yeah, that's the issue that we're dealing with now, also with the solvents and how to do the abatement of that. But the adhesives, I can tell you that I'm really super proud over the past, and really, it's it's been over about the past 12, 13, maybe 15 years at the most, but right around the 10 to 12 year mark. Um, some of the adhesives that have come out today are actually some just some of the best on the planet i mean it's really really good stuff um not only for the environment but also just for 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 just for function right good stuff the um but again it all comes down and so they're they're higher moisture tolerant right they're higher ph tolerant right but we but but testing is still such an important thing to do it, it really is i mean there's a struggle there because, I mean, okay, so all of a sudden now we've got adhesives that are going up to 92%, 95%, 98%. And then so all of a sudden what happens is, is flooring contractors um, or, or those that are required to actually do testing, you know, pre-testing, you know, to do a floor, put a floor down. Well, they're doing their own risk assessment and they decide not to test. Hmm. Hmm. That's a bit of a challenge. No. So... One of the things that we've been working on, um, and so um, I, I did a study on this. I did a study on this a number of years ago, and um, I think, I mean, it's just my own thinking, but I think I'm right. Is probably a good, you know, 50, 60 percent of the jobs that are out there um, really aren't even tested. And then the other problem that we have with that, that, that I came up with, and, and I, I think I'm right. I, you know, I did my own study on it. I think I'm right was about 50% of all the tests that were even done were actually not done correctly. So we have, the other problem is, is that the way the testing is designed today is it makes it really pretty challenging for a flooring contractor. If you've got a project that's 250 miles away, for example, you know, to go there, do the test and come back, you got to wait 72 hours, 60 to 72 hours for calcium chloride. You got to wait, you know, we're now at 24 hours for, for the probe test. It, it makes it, it's a pretty challenging, it's a pretty, it's a pretty, do we require it? Yes. Is it a pretty, pretty challenging situation for flooring contractors? Yes, it is. Um, general contractors tend to not want to do it. They just want to pass the buck and throw it, you know, throw it on the flooring contractor. Makes it a bit tough. Cliff, let me turn it over to you. Yeah, uh, I do. I want to go back a minute um, to concentrate on, on, on one of the other uh text that we had uh you know now with all this coronavirus uh we're running into issues uh with china and 
disclosure and, and so on and so forth. And I remember a couple of years back when we had all this flooring, if I'm not mistaken, that came from China and there were a bunch of issues with it. Could you comment on whether or not foreign manufacturers who sell their products in the United <laughs> States are meeting uh, so U.S. You're, standards you're, and U.S. requirements for products? You're going to go there with that one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay. Tough, tough question. Um, but no, it's a tough question, but, but, but an easy question. Look, the, the two... Uh, the two most um, prolific uh, when it comes to environmental control and regulation is the U.S. and Europe, okay? Mm. In North America, we have LEED, right, uh, U.S. GBC. Mm -hmm. um, we, have, we have those other, you know, the other uh, state regulations in California. But also what we have in Europe is called the REACH program. And the REACH program is pretty similar to, to what we're doing in the U.S., it's very regulatory. Uh, matter of fact, more regulatory than what even some of the stuff that we do in the U.S. are. So if you're dealing with the, one of the number one things that you could look at is anything that was made in Europe that's REACH compliant, you're getting the most environmentally uh, responsible material made out there. The problem that we have with those countries, and I'm, I'm not going to name a country, but those countries that are not um, Okay, what's the best way to put that? that the one that starts that, with a C? <laughs> I don't want to say that. <laughs> problem. No, I can't go there. Um, okay. All right. the, the, those countries that don't follow REACH compliance uh, in Europe, then um, quite frankly, in, in some cases, you don't know what you're going to get. What, what is that reach? Is that an acronym for something, William? Yeah, it's a European. Um, I can I can look it up off the top of my head, but it's a it's European. It's R E A C H. It's the European Regulations for Environmental Control of Materials. Gotcha. I just needed the acronym so we could have it right in the uh, in the blog. IAQ Radio Industry sponsors are Particles Plus engineers and manufacturers of feature-rich particle counters and air quality monitoring instrumentation. Learn more at ParticlesPlus.com. Count on us. Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions available at HealthyIndoors.com. And AEML Laboratories, free FedEx shipping, great pricing, same-day results, and never a rush fee. Learn more at AEMLinc.com. For technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation, visit them at Wolfsense.com. Association sponsors are the Indoor Air Quality Association, a multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Learn more at iaqa.org and RIA, the Restoration Industry Association, the granddaddy of the restoration industry. Network with leaders. Learn more at restorationindustry.org. Siri, the Cleaning Industry Research Institute. See more deeply through science and research. 
Learn more at SiriScience.org. That's C-I-R-I Science.org. A-C-G-I-H, advancing the careers of professionals working in the environmental health, industrial hygiene, and safety communities. Interested in defining their science at acgih.org. What I'd like to do is, is jump to a little more on moisture, William, because you know we, we, we've called this the Moisture Mob Series, and you're, you're the third in the series here. And uh, I, I think I'm right when I say third, Pete, but you correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and we want to talk a little bit about the current practices of measuring moisture content in cement prior to installation. Um, yes. We had a show. We talked about this. We'd like to get your opinion, your 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 viewpoint from the you know the manufacturer's uh, representative side of things. Are we doing this right now, or could we? Let's put it this way: Could we be doing it better? You mentioned calcium chloride. You, you, you know, we, we've got tests like that. Could you talk a little bit about the pros and cons? Yeah, you know, um, and, th- and thank you for that question. Um, you know, moisture testing in concrete has been around um, for as long as I remember. As a matter of fact, one of the first installation guidelines that I ever got was from Kentile. Uh, wasn't back in 1963. That's where calcium chloride really started to come into play. And it also came into play with the RMA, the Rubber Flooring, the Rubber Manufacturers Association, all back to the 60s. You know, one of the old ways to test before even calcium chloride came into play was, uh, and I've actually done that test, <laughs> interestingly enough, a long time ago. Um, we used to, uh, we would take a, a tablespoon of salt and you throw a tablespoon of salt on the floor and then you take a glass and you fill, you fill the outside of it with a uh, plumber's putty, and you come back the next day, and it, it's supposed to be 24 hours, but we never really followed that. You come back the next day, and if the salt was clumpy, you'd install the floor or not. Now, how's that for, how's that for archaic? Have you ever heard of that oh, one? Yeah, yeah. not that one, one, but I have heard of just taping a piece of plastic to the floor, and then if there's condensation. Yeah that's, yeah, that's the old mat test, right? And, and matter of fact, we were still using that up until... A short time ago. Um, I'm thankful we actually got rid of that. But um, so then we've gone through this progression of moisture testing where it became, you know, calcium chloride. And that was the big thing at the time. And it lasted for a long time. And then all of a sudden we have, uh, you know, the in-situ probe testing with the ASTM F2170. And then, uh, you know, about, I don't know, I think it goes back about seven or eight years ago. I, I sit on the committee with the F06, uh, you know, resilient flooring for, uh, for this stuff. And we were talking about this about seven or eight years ago. And it was like, well, you know, um, do we get rid of the calcium chloride test or we just let it go? And the ultimate answer was, is, well, you know, the market is going to dictate whether it comes or goes, you know, what are the adhesive manufacturers going to do? What are the flooring manufacturers going to do? What are the patch manufacturers going to do? So we have to let the, we have to let market, um, dictate that we can't, we can't, we can't arbitrate that or we can't do that on the ASTM side. We just, we just create the documents. But the interesting thing is that we have to let technology get better. We've gone from putting table salt and plastic on the floor to figure out what to do to calcium chloride to in situ probe. And I, there's, there's some technical, technological advances that are coming through here and it, it's quite encouraging. Um, I don't know if you've heard about that, but I think that's going to be coming out this year or um, maybe this year. 
with some new ways of doing testing that is, is not only more accurate, but it's faster, it's easier. It's one of the, one of the problems is, is that some of the testing that's being done is actually so it's, it, it, it makes it harder for flooring contractors to go out and do the testing because um, not only of the complexity, but also the time requirements in order to do the test. Does that make sense? Sure. When you talk about new methods, we, 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 um, we did a show with uh, the folks from, I think it was Tramex, and um, we've also had Delmhorst on in the past. Are we going to be seeing more reliance on, on specialty moisture meters for this type of testing? Oh, I'm pretty certain of that. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty certain of that. Not only, not only if we can get, um, you know, we get the, we get the data back that actually this testing is, you know, not only accurate, but it's reliable, but the market's going to, the, the market's going to demand that we have quicker, faster, accurate testing. That's easier for the, the flooring contractor to do. I, I'm sure of that. That's going to happen. It's going to happen very quickly. I'm, I'm, about 99.9% sure of that. Well, that's important. I think that's, that's a, a good thing for the industry, and it'll be, it'll be quicker. And like you say, a little faster, quicker, easier to do. That's, I think that's great news. We're, uh, yeah, I think so also because one of the um, – not to interrupt, sir, but one of the problems that we have also is that, okay, you've got calcium chloride testing, right? Then you've got, you know, the probe testing, 2170 testing, and – Agreeable. We still we we're, we still have some places that are doing the mat testing, even though, okay, it's it's a bit archaic, but people are still doing it. But the problem is, is that how do you how do you correlate any of any of those other tests from one to the other, right? Yes or no. So um, you've got you've got flooring manufacturers that have a calcium chloride test and a twenty one seventy test, and and you've got moisture mitigation suppliers, you know, that are that are peddling material right now. You've got adhesive suppliers that sell that sell adhesives. You got patch, you know, patch suppliers where they're throwing, you know, this one test and this other test. Um, I've run into the situation actually where uh, a general contractor, you know, both tests were performed, and they They just took the lower. They took the lower number and said, "Hey, we've got the lower number. Let's go with this, Jane. Let's do it." It's like, no, wait a minute. Hmm. So, one of the things that I see that we can get this, you know, get this testing, you know, technically easier. Number one, we're going to have more people doing the test because as I told you before, you know, it's, it's likely that maybe 50, 60% of the jobs aren't tested, you know, anyway. Right. Right. And then half of those are potentially not done well. Okay. What if, what if there was testing out there that you could, test the body of the slab and you could test the, sur the surface of the slab at the same time. Wouldn't that be, and the, the interesting thing about that, what if we didn't have to get into the discussion about, well, this test is about, you know, moisture vapor evaporation rate. And then the 2170 test is a static test about moisture relative humidity by volume in the concrete. So, because neither one of them are the same thing, right? And then you get into the issue of, of additives to the concrete and, and how they affect the moisture. We're, we're, uh, that's a good question, too, because we're dealing with the, um, right now they're called MVRAs, the Moisture Vapor Reducing, uh, Reduction, Reducing Admixtures. Yep. That's a challenge. That's a big challenge. Uh, and we, we talked a little bit about that with, uh, with our concrete folk back in, uh, well, we had uh, 
Three shows. Oh, Actually, Pete, Pete's correct, corrected me. We had three shows before that. And um, I want to just real quick before we go to the roundup here, I want to talk a little bit about um, moisture and how it's measured in, in concrete. I, I had a, a text from, uh, let's see, it's kind of getting, okay, from, from Andrew at uh, Tramex that 100% vapor per F2, 2170 is not anywhere near 100%, usually closer to 5%. Problem was stating 99 or 100 as people mix them up. For people in the field, you know, our, our guys, a lot of our people are, are restoration contractors. And, and I wonder if you could just kind of help simplify it a little bit for us, if, if it can be done with respect to helping people determine when this concrete is ready for flooring. That all comes down to, that all comes down to the chemistry of the adhesives that we're using for that. So we've got pressure sensitive adhesives that are used for for tile, typically, we've got hard set adhesives that can be used for water-based adhesives for linoleum, for rubber, um, and then we have we also have reactive adhesives. We got epoxies and urethanes that are reactive that have no water in them at all, um, and then we've got single component moisture cure urethanes that are used for wood, they're used for rubber, and blah 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 blah. It all comes down to the, the, the number one. We have an ASTM out there, and this this one is not. This one's not paid attention enough to. ASTM F710. It's probably one of the most important ASTMs out there when it comes to floor covering. It is that basically, and, and to paraphrase it, that's the standard practice of the preparation of concrete slabs to receive resilient floor covering. And the, 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 the challenge is, is you'll, you'll, you'll actually see that document. You'll see it on every pail of adhesive, pretty much. You'll see it on bags of patch. You'll see it in floor covering installation guidelines. You'll see it in architectural specifications, and it's 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 not well understood. Most people, when I most people when I talk to them about it, is hey, do you under, have you read ASTM F seven ten? Most people have not, and it's it's probably it, it not probably it is one of the most important ones to actually take a look at. Okay, I think that's a good. That's a good way to handle that. Now, let me, let me ask this. I got a text that says it's critical that a flooring contractor perform multiple bond tests. Can you talk a little bit about what a bond test is and if you agree that that's critical? Yeah. If you're on a questionable slab where it, it's, you're trying, you know, you're on a hard trout slab or you removed an existing flooring um, or you suspect there may be a sealer that's still on top of the concrete, doing a bond test is the most important thing that you can do. The problem is, is that the challenge with that is, is now that's that's one more step that a flooring contractor has to go through. Mm -hmm. I understand that. I mean, um, if you're on a non-porous slab and you're putting a, you know, you're you're doing a bond test with a water-based adhesive, I mean, you could be stuck out there, you know, coming back seven days later just to pull that thing to make sure that it's stuck okay. okay I get it. Um, on a on a two-part epoxy or something like that, you can generally pull those off within 24 hours. But still, the problem with that is it's adding another step to the flooring contractor that the flooring contractor really doesn't want to do in the first place. And it's um, time. It's it's going to slow the project down. It it is. But um, I you know whenever whenever I do my training, I I I, I bring up an an old thing from. Um, there's there's a, there's a thing from the Old Testament, um, you know, regarding Solomon that um, 
there's a term that it's, it's good to understand the nature of God. I mean, that's, that's where he came. But I take, it from a, I, I take it from a scientific view. And it's good to understand the nature of things. If you're, if you're, if you're doing a job, it's good to take the time to understand what you're walking into before you do it. Absolutely. Can you recommend any um, training courses? Uh, do you guys do any, um, as a you know, manufacturer, do you have training courses for your installers? Sure. Yeah. Um, the training courses that I do are not just, are not just specific to sports. I'm dedicated to sports at this time, but you know, my history, you know, my history. I've been at this for very, a so, very so. varied history, wide history in flooring. Yeah. Um, so when I do, when I do my training events, I'll tend to do maybe I'm dedicated to do maybe 10 this year. Um, the last one I did, we just had 30. So, um, uh, yeah, we, uh, most of your manufacturers actually do provide training events. We do for certain. Um, when I do my training events, I, I'm, I'm not, I, I don't uh, do the training just to teach somebody how to, you know, cut a piece of material into a doorway. We talk about ASTM F710, for example. We talk about floor patch. We talk about um, flooring mitigation systems and moisture mitigation systems that we're dealing with right now, which are quite a few. I mean, they're you know as well as I do, we're getting more and more of those things, and they're getting more complicated um, mm -hmm. that we have to deal with. Um, and then we talk about adhesives, we talk about floor patches, we talk about self-leveling, we talk about um, all the various types of floors, whether it be vinyl, rubber, linoleum, wood, you know, everything under the sun. So I spend more time, uh, I spend more time trying to um, elevate um, above just, you know, how to cut a doorway in. So we sure. Let me get a, another quick question before we go to the roundup and bring Pete in. Um, and this is on uh, concrete and drying. You know, if you if you if it's ever recommended to go ahead and and attempt to dry, and I guess this is more new construction. Oh, that's uh, a good. One. Yeah, that's a good. Yeah, one. I mean, should we? Who uh, that's a cliff one there. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we, we run into that too. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at a project right now that's um, I'm working with a customer and they're, they're supposed to have the job done by April 20th and the concrete just test, tested out at 97%. Okay. That's going to be a bit of a challenge. Hmm. One of the issues, you know, you and I, you know, we were talking about this whole thing about control of an environment, right? Right. One of the problems that we've run into is with the way concrete's designed, right? We got saw cuts, we got, you know, saw cuts in the joints and saw cut joints, blah, 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 blah. And there's, there's a debate about how many you're supposed to have. There's a debate about that. But then all of a sudden, you know, everyone's, uh, the concrete is hard trailed finished. It has a, 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 fin a, a sealer on the top of that, even though it may be a dissipative sealer. probably still there. So we want the water out. Um, the concrete wants the water in. <laughs> so we, we have this balance going back and forth. A little tug of war there, huh? It, it's a war. Yeah, it's a war between what the concrete wants versus what we need. The, um, the, thing, the problem is, is if you try to get in there with dehumidifiers, 
you have to control the environment because if you start, if you get dehumidifiers in there and you start drawing that water out too quickly, what's going to happen to the concrete? That's not designed to be, that's not the way it's done, right? You want, okay. Gotcha. So it will, are you saying it will dry unevenly? That's exactly what happens. The top of the concrete, um, the reason that concrete curls is because if there's a disparity in the dryness of the top of the concrete versus the bottom of the concrete. Gotcha. And I'll give you a, a case in point. Um, if you take, um, I don't know what the name of that is and who makes it, but you know that yellow sponge that you probably have on your sink to wash your dishes? Yes. Okay. You let that dry out, what happens? Uh, that's a good question. It shrinks. shrinks. Yeah. And yeah, you get that shrinkage. And then you, you get it wet again, what happens? It expands and gets soft. Yeah. Okay. You can test that, and uh, maybe maybe in the next in the next cast we'll have a. I'll, uh, how about I put on my Bill Nye the Science Guy hat, and we'll have it. <laughs> and I'll show you guys how that works. But that's a that's a. I tell you what, that's one of the biggest problems that we got when it when it comes to floor covering. That's one of the big problems that we face. Is it unequal drying of the concrete? Yeah, absolutely. It's unequal drying of the concrete. Interesting. Interesting. Hey, let's, uh, John, let's go to the roundup. Okay, let's go to Cliff. Let me get you in here first, then we'll bring Pete in. Okay. Uh, I thought it was a great interview. Um, I always, what's the strangest claim story uh, you can tell our <laughs> oh, listeners? No. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> okay. Okay. I've got a top 10 list of the most unbelievable things that you could possibly see happen, but are actually true. I would put this one right about number two. I've got a, I've got a number one, but I really don't want to share that one because it's just, it, it really is that bad. But so number two is probably I can do on a podcast. So, um, a cushion flooring, the, uh, and I don't want to say where, and I don't want to say when, just, okay, this happened. The, um, they actually installed the flooring upside down. <laughs> so, the, well, I, 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 really feel, I really feel bad about it because, you know, honestly, technically, when I was talking to him, he actually made technical sense. Despite that he didn't follow the installation instructions, he made technical sense. He goes, well, you know, I install a lot of carpet tile, and it's always the hard side down and the fuzzy side up. It's like, okay. And, hey, um, this is going to be more comfortable with people walking on it if it's upside down because the foam's on the bottom, right. and so now I'm going to put it on right. the top so it's <laughs> be more comfortable. Right. So, so <laughs> the problem was he couldn't heat weld any of it because he was actually burning the foam. So I, I was on the phone with him for on phone with with the fellow for a great guy too, by the way, because technically it was like, you know, you actually make sense. 
That actually makes sense. Did it work? No. Wow. Well, I guess that's where green side up comes from. Well, you, but you got close. <laughs> you were close. How is that resolved? Oh, oh no, we had to. We, no, we we had Replacement. to start all over. Take it all out and redo it. Yeah. yeah, that was no fixing that. Interesting, interesting. Hey, by the way, I've got an interesting um, text from Andrew Tramex. Most building sites are not an at in-service condition. Therefore, using dehumidification, heat, and air is ideal for getting the space into ideal condition for drying. So I think he's looking at the... It is. It is okay. You can certainly do that if you don't have operational HVAC, which a lot of, which a lot of buildings, especially when you get into hospital and healthcare, they don't want to operate the HVAC during the construction uh, process because they don't want to contaminate the, uh, the ductwork, right? Sure. Or, the, or the HVAC equipment. So the question is, it all comes down to control and stability, right? So it's going back to what you talked about earlier, getting the environment control, not necessarily the, the concrete itself, but the environment that it's in. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, so let's just say, for example, that you bring in, you bring in, okay, you're not going to run your HVAC, right? Because mm -hmm. you don't want to contaminate the system or something like that, but you've got to get some controls in there because the conditions are not, conducive to getting the concrete dried out and or things even prepared to, to even put flooring in there or even other construction elements like drywall or ceiling tiles, you know, things like that. So can you throw in um, secondary um, control mechanisms to get the building under control? And then when the building's under control and you get through the construction phase that you can actually go ahead and do the floor covering and then operate the HVAC afterwards? Why not? The, sure. the point is, is that you're just keeping a, you're keeping this one streamline of control that, okay, I'm here, and then it's going to stay here when I'm done. The, the, the whole thing is about keeping stability, right? You know, it seems to me that as a contractor, I would almost always, if not always, recommend to the building owner that they allow me to do that and pay for that and then give them the choice uh, yeah, you know, if you don't want me to do that, then uh, you know, because it costs money or whatever, then then we won't do that. But on the other hand, then you've got, you know, if if you do have problems on the rear end, you could go back and say, well, we we did recommend this, and uh, you decided not to do it. Yeah, well, you know, um, with this group of with this group of people that that we've been talking with, you know, between Roland between Roland and Bob and Pete and you and and uh, and Lou and and Howard. I think we're all pretty much on the same thought process is that, yeah, no, that makes sense. Is um, either, you know, either that, or, you know, the other problem that you have is you got, then you're going to wind up putting a moisture mitigation system down on the floor, mm -hmm. right? Now you're going to shop blast it. You're going to get to a CS3, uh, CSP3 profile. You're going to put epoxy down, then you're going to self-level it. And that can cost you what, anywhere from what, six to 12 bucks a foot. A you whole lot more than conditioning that building in the first place. Valid point. But the, but the other thing, if you're going to get into conditioning, that's a valid point. But the other thing that you can get into that has some benefit, if you get, if you get into this on the front end of the game, okay, well, that may reduce some of the stuff that we're having, that we're having to deal with on all these moisture mitigation systems, right? Mm -hmm. One thing, one thing to think about is, yeah, it, why not get into that conditioning program that you just mentioned? 
But also, how about opening up the top of the slab so the slab can breathe? Mm. What do you think about that? How do you do that? Um, several ways. You can use planetary grinder. Um, Mape is a really interesting product, and I, I don't know if I'm supposed to be able to you know, recommend Say it. Say whatever you want. Um, Mape is a really interesting product called uh, Plenty Prep SA, which means scouring agent. Um, that's a liquid applied treatment. So you don't necessarily, you don't have to get in and shop blast. You don't have to do planetary grinding. Um, that if you've got a sealer on the slab, you can put this on the floor, let it set for maybe 15 minutes, suck it up with a shop back. And guess what? Now you've got, now you've got an open slab. They can dry out more easily. And a flooring contractor can actually do that, right? That, you, you've got the bigger equipment. You've got the bigger commercial contractors that obviously have their own equipment. They can do their own shop blasting. They can do their own planetary grinding and things like that. But what about the mom and pop shops that don't have all that equipment? Right. Um, or, or don't have the means to do it. So getting into there, yeah, opening up the slab. You know, sir, that'd probably be one of the best things that could happen. Okay. That, you, you get in, you, can, you get the environment and the control that you need in order to dry the slab out. You get the top of the concrete open. Bingo. Very good. Let's it, bring the, uh, it, would, it would literally solve a lot of problems, frankly. Let's bring the restoration global watchdog in. Pete, final thoughts or comments? We're running a little low on time. Sorry I didn't get you in here a little earlier. Oh, we lost Pete. He's back. There he is. I I want to know, did Richard, did you see, uh, uh, William, did you see this yellow sponge? It was on my, my sink. Oh, you've got it, a yellow sponge. Oh, Dude, I, I you're do. awesome. I, right. I, have a, I have a yellow sponge. It's only coincidental because like multiple colors come in the pack. This happens <laughs> to be the one. You know, it shrinks, it expands. Exactly. Listen, just a couple things, guys. Uh, <clears throat> first of all, one of the things that, that and by the way, you mentioned all the guys in the moisture mop, but you left out Mickey. So I got to oh, say, I forgot Mickey. Mickey, yeah, I forgot right Mickey. Mickey. That's right. Anyway, I'm, I'm always looking out for you, Mickey. He's on the he's on the call too. But listen, here's the thing. One of the things that uh, w uh, William and Bob Andrew, very sp specifically, are working on establishing a uh, some of the criteria for moisture standards in concrete, all right? Which even though I think a lot of that is uh, driven by, for the, for the flooring industry, it's, it's gonna apply to the restoration and the drying guys too. Right. And, um, and I think that uh, they were scheduled to actually do a presentation, or, although I think that it was mostly- We were, uh, we were yeah, but we're, yeah. Right, we right. Were. Andrew and Mickey were gonna do a presentation at the IICRC Standards Summit, but of course that, that got postponed. But nonetheless, I think this is important because this is the, the, you know, knowledge from the flooring industry uh, now, you know, kind of uh, collaborating with the restoration industry. And I think there's a lot of good information in there because uh, like I've always said, the roots of restoration started in drying flooring, carpeting, you know, horizontal surfaces back in the day. So exactly. I, I think um, people should stay tuned for that because I think this is going to be, uh, you know, important information that will evolve. And there'll be some real solid standards that the building owners, uh, insurance companies, you know, whoever's involved that's going to burden costs uh, or have to resolve, you know, issues and complaints, liability, they'll be able to resolve, you know, they'll be able to uh, uh, defer to that. Um, the other thing that I, I think, uh, guys, is important is um, 
the work that, uh, um, besides the standards work, is the fact that you, you have all these different industries that are talking. So when you look at the, at the, you know, the series of people who are doing these subject matter expert talks as part of the Moisture Mob series, from the concrete now to the general flooring area, and of course, when Andrew kicked it all off with really the methodology and the different technology of all the different types of meters. The meters have different applications. It's not that one is better than the other. It depends on the application. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about brand. I'm talking about types of meters, intrusive, non-intrusive, et cetera, uh, all the different probes that are used. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding on this. I mean, one of the guys who really is probably one of the leading experts and has clarified a lot of that over the years is Lou Herman. You know, he did a talk for many years for the WLS, and, and of course, Mickey's been involved in that too, in dealing with the use and applications of the meters, the false readings, you know, uh, uh, how, to, how to interpret the information and how to pass it on to customers. And I think the industry, uh, we can get better in that. Let's just put it that way. Um, I, think, uh, I think that, uh, so I think that that's extremely important. And, um, you know, uh, so now we're, uh, we've gotten uh, three big areas with the concrete flooring and the roofing. You know, John T's uh, talk a few weeks back uh, created uh, more questions than we knew what to do with, even with all the answers he gave dealing with the roofing systems. Um, we got Howard Brickman now is going to be the next one up. Um, we'll, we'll get him scheduled here in the next couple of weeks. Howard is a legend in the hardwood industry is one of the founders of uh, one of those the traded there were a couple different trade associations in the hardwood industry and then mr roland uh viera who's just one of the leading experts in the in the flooring inspection business and, and he's got a lot of peers who are, are on his level but uh but roland uh will come in and uh, you know give his perspective as a guy who uh, inspects all of these is involved in, uh, you know, oversight, uh, complaint handling on behalf of the mills and retailers, et cetera, installation companies. Be very interesting to get his perspective on it. He's very well respected in that industry. Look, we've had quite a few guys who are on this call with a lot of the, the chat log who are yeah. uh, well-known flooring experts in their own rights and uh, who have been weighing in. So I think that, uh, anyway, I'm, I'm very happy to see the flooring and restoration industry after a after a uh, separation of about 25 years, we're coming back to our roots of how we can work together really for the greater good of the customers in the buildings who we service. Because at the end of the day, if we can't make those people happy, then you know, why are we doing it? So anyway, right. a great job, William. Uh, you hang you know, on to that sponge, Pete. <laughs> I, 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 I change them every few weeks, throw them in the garbage, you get the new ones, but you know, I, I try to get whatever life I can. And uh, anyway, but uh, really wonderful job. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time because I know you're a busy proud guy. Proud of what you guys are doing. Thank you, William. Hey, but before we go, any final thoughts, William? Um, yeah, you know, I really, I really appreciate what Pete just said, you know, between the restoration business and and the floor covering business, you know, I've been at, I've been at this for a long time and you, so have you and so is Pete and so is Mickey and Bob and everybody else. But I, I used to be in the restoration business a long time ago. This goes back into the eighties. So I got a taste of what you guys do. And you know what, um, you guys putting this together 
and getting us on our side where we, you know, where, where we have a forum to speak and we can have a meeting of minds and we can talk about all these different subjects, but, um, not getting off on a tangent because there's so much that we can actually talk about. But just putting these things together, I'm really proud of you guys for doing this. It's, uh, it's, it's really important. And I, I, uh, the biggest thing I think, um, if flooring contractors and restoration contractors and, and customers at the end, they benefit from it, all the best. That's the key. William Thornton, thank you so much for joining us today on IAQ Radio Plus. Really enjoyed the talk, uh, both before and during the show. I uh, also want to thank my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. Um, great job on putting the questions together, and he'll have, I'm sure, an excellent blog this week. The Restoration Global Watchdog, Pete Consigli, at the controls, John, you got to have faith. Most importantly, our growing group of loyal listeners will be back next Friday. Next Friday, we've got another interesting one. Uh, Pete's been putting together a little, little we were going to look at the uh, spring break or spring training conference, but that's been canceled and postponed until next year. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the types of things that are occurring business-related. We've got Ed Cross coming on, talking about contracts. We're going to go back to the COVID-19. We uh, took a little break from that this week, but uh, we'll be back next Friday with the next episode of IAQ Radio Plus. For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Reed saying thanks for listening.